Hello and welcome to Madame Rotterdam. Here you're going to get inspired after listening to interviews with some of the most talented people across many industries within the city of Rotterdam. Tune in every Friday for more inspiration. Happy listening! for more inspiration. I'm your host, Maria Bahman, and today's guest is Bob Johnson. A lot of you might know Bob as the co-founder of Firmhouse, but I personally know Bob Johnson from Ventor Lab Incubator. I was one of the participants of the first edition of Venture Lab Incubator. It's an incubator that helps, uh, you know, uh, both startups and starting entrepreneurs with just an idea to test it, to go through the process of uh, customer development and find a market fit. If it checks all the boxes that they have, they will invest in your idea or at least help you get funded. So I've known Bob for a while now and I can safely say that he is a very passionate person and he really does believe in what he's doing. So he cares about his team and his customers just as much, right? So he cares about people and he wants to make sure that everybody is okay and well. And you can see that reflected in the Venture Lab Incubator, where it is also more founder focused and not only just an idea focused. And it's actually tips more towards founder focused, right? They want to develop founders as entrepreneurs, right? Give them the right tools to bring this idea off the ground and build it, but also how to be able to carry on running it, right? So how to find the right co-founders and what to look for in a co-founder and whatnot. So without any further ado, this podcast is one of the best ones that I like. Uh, whether you are a starting entrepreneur or you're a scale-up or you are an established company owner or founder, this podcast has something for you. Sit back, relax, enjoy this podcast and see you next week for more inspiration. Bye for now. Hello, Bob. Thank you for being on this podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's an honor to have you, really. It has been a while, I think, since I wanted you on this podcast, but I thought, like, yeah, you're busy. But uh, <laughs> yeah. now I can imagine you just celebrated the 10th uh, year anniversary of uh, Firm House. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations exactly. on that. Thanks. <laughs> How does it feel to spend 10 years building a company? You know, you just celebrated this month. Oh, no, yeah. last month. <laughs> so actually, the, celebra- the, the official date is 25th of March, 2018. Wow. So it's actually almost 11 years as wow. we speak. Uh, we just delayed a little bit on organizing the party for it. Yeah. Um, but how does it feel to be 10 years? It's, I don't know, I, I haven't spent much time thinking about that specifically, but what we shared during the party where you were as well is like we have these two years increments. Yeah. Usually it's sort of like that. You can paint the development of the company into. So you have the first two years, you're figuring out what to do. Yeah. We were young, we were 21. Uh, so we're just figuring out we're doing our studies as well. So we had, you know, we gave ourselves slack to figure out what, what's from is going to be. Yeah. We always had the idea to be a product-based business and to be a product-focused company, uh, but we didn't want to raise money for it. Yeah. Well, this is 10 years ago, the startup yeah. world yeah, yeah, was yeah. not a thing. Like, yeah, that's true. Ooh, you, you, you're going to start your own business. People are like, ooh. No, it's like, oh, you're going to try a startup. Cool, that's awesome. So the, yeah. that mentality <laughs> shifted a lot. 
Um, so, but looking back at these 10 years, there is a few waves in which we had, you know, uh, starting with products, that was quite a success with the tweet burning short linking yeah. that we did, that we launched. Then uh, we sold that basically. Then we ran the agency for a couple of years and based upon that, now we're going back to products. Yeah. Uh, that's really exciting. And then over the course of the time, you, you build a team, uh, you know, you welcome people into your team, you say goodbye to people. And yeah. every time you do these things for the first time, it's a lesson. So we've never been in a rush. Um, but yeah, it feels good to be like 10 years. It feels like an achievement. Yeah. Okay. Like, hey, we're still here. The vision is not that much changed. That also is something I like a lot about the type of company we're building. We're not in a rush Yeah. and we're not here to do like, okay, let's do two years, sell it and then uh, do something else. Yeah. Exactly. So the core vision is the same. It's work on ideas and turn them into a healthy business. Yeah. And that has never changed. And you can also feel after 10 years that that idea is a very, you know, they say very strong one because it doesn't really change. Yeah. Like it's a very universal truth almost. Like, yeah, so you yeah. have to build a business, not like yeah, yeah, something that doesn't it. work. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. So uh, take us back to 2009. Maybe if we can just go a little bit when you are starting out, 21. Yeah. Um, <laughs> talk a little bit about that. Like. Yeah. So the, f the first time the idea for me came to start my own business was in 2007. Wow. So I had this job and I was doing this um, study that I could combine work working four days a week. One day I would go to uh, University of Applied Sciences. However, the company that I work with really did, didn't fit with me. I didn't get any space. And this is where I realized, okay, yeah. instead of following, I should be probably building something of my own. And that that's when I got the, the first time somebody told me about an entrepreneurship program in the, the school that I was in, basically. And then uh, that turned out to be a very forward-thinking program where you really start a business. It's not like a simulation. It's yeah. not like write a business plan and get you know applause at a, a demo day or something. It was really like, no, you have to go to the chamber of commerce oh, wow. and start something and start building the business from there. So that's what happened 2008. I joined the program um, after I left the company that I was with. I joined the program and then um, I met Michiel quite quite soon into that program and that's when we started combining our forces. Wow. So we realized, hey, we have a similar vision of what we want to achieve. Yeah. We have similar heroes that we look to, like these are successful companies that we believe have done a great job. So that's when we basically merged our businesses. Yeah, together. <laughs> so I went twice to the Chamber of Commerce. <laughs> Very like starting my own company and then two or three months later, like merging our businesses that we had. So that's sort of like how the balls are rolling, but we didn't decide to go into business immediately. So we did the hack project, a yeah. weekend project, which turned out to be quite successful. Uh, it was not really done before, like a prototyping weekend, as we call it. And uh, so we started building a short linking service for Twitter. Yeah. Uh, so Twitter was very young. It was, I think, two years old, one and a half years old. Was um, it back in 2008 or? Yeah, this was 2008. Yeah. Um, yeah. When I was, uh, when I was looking at the photos for the, for the anniversary presentation, we did to look back. It's like looking at the Twitter design, like, whoa, this is <laughs> super old school. Um, however, so, but, uh, what I noticed, so where that idea came from is that when I was joining Twitter and I was spending time there, everybody was, of course, tweeting about their lunch and that they're going Ooh. to sleep and it was really in this very immature state where yeah. people are just like I'm doing this Guilty. I'm in the train I've done it too <laughs> and actually sometimes I think back to it that it would be great if it would ever be at that level again because it was so much more personal and yeah. much less of an, a platform full of noise but what happened is that I saw some people share links to blogs they wrote or to a good article yeah but everybody was also 
you thinking. know, the thinking about like, <laughs> I have so many followers. And then I was like, hey, I have 40, 40 followers. I have I was like, Whoa, 40 followers. How many people actually click this link? Wow. And there was no, no service that did that. And then I told that to Michiel and he was like, oh, but it's super easy to create something that just counts the amount of people that pass by a link. So let's yeah. do it. So we did it in the weekend. Then some people got us on the official Twitter blog and that's where everything took off and people started using it. Oh, wow. So we had people like uh, Tim Ferriss and Gary Vaynerchuk before they were really, really known. Yeah. They were using our platform to sort of like do some data science on their tweeting and the marketing. And now what happened there is that Bitly came around, which is the known, yeah. like, and that became the default for Twitter. And then, yeah, for like the platform that is the growth of our service, yeah. utilizes a different tool that yeah. also got funding from Twitter yeah. to build the tool. So for like that was the end of Tweetbirder, but we learned a lot there. So but really cool. you guys were kind of the first uh, to create something like this. And um, have you maybe back then tried to contact Twitter directly that you're building something like this no oh, i didn't okay. somebody else did that so there was this group of people in amsterdam netherlands was the first country where twitter got quite big okay. and a very loyal group of users were doing a lot of tweeting and one of them met the founder of twitter at south by southwest a big conference in uh, austin texas in our industry okay and he basically sent an email like hey these two dutch boys 21 year old created something on top of your platform this is good so probably you want to share this or something and then he blogged about it on a twitter blog okay uh the founder of twitter um How about you guys yeah so nice. he's like hey this is cool some developers created this you should probably check it out if you're serious about tweeting yeah and i think maybe that rang the bell for them. I was like hey interesting maybe. okay so right, and we were right, actually right. not the first there was one other service that was called snip url still around i believe uh that also did a similar thing but uh, nobody was using that so okay all right they used us no but this is actually cool you guys started something like this yeah exactly yeah okay so um, maybe we go back you already mentioned this briefly that uh, you started out as a product service company yeah. and then for a while you started as an agency as well so he kind of shifted yeah and you talked about part of your anniversary that that you learned a lot from being an agency yeah, yeah. and then you now back to product service yeah so maybe try to talk a little bit more briefly about you know, started as a product service, then agency. What did you learn? Maybe one or two. Yeah. And back to the product service. And what is the maybe the biggest difference between an agency and a product? Yeah. So, so the so when you have a product, you have hopefully many users, yeah, <laughs> which have questions. So you have like uh, support. You have all these additional things that you do when you operate a product. Yeah. With a user base. Um, and in our case, we had quite some users that were asking questions that we were talking to when we had Tweetburner. So there were yeah. quite some unpaying users because it was a free service. Um, and you design your company around those things that you have to deliver to make those people happy. Oh, okay. And when you shift to an agency, you have a paying customer that pays you to do something. Right? So they pay for a certain amount of hours to build a web app, to get a workshop or to get consultancy done. And the difference between the two is that that's a, a way more direct relationship where you are being uh, reviewed on quality and if you you know meet your agreements that you have made and everything is custom. So yeah. instead of having sort of like a thing that you repeat as a product business, like this is the product we have, this is the service level that you can expect from us. Yeah. Like in an agency world, it's it's less standardized and there's okay. more customization happening. So the big difference there is that for us. Um, we always like doing the, um, the product-based business more because you could still help people very directly, but everything you build into the product will automatically impact more people. 
Okay. And wow. as an agency, you're impacting, well, not a few people, but somebody hires you to do something for them. Yeah. yeah and maybe yeah. their users. But like you're always further away from the end result of your product. Uh, so now going back to that, that's really awesome for us. So what we learned running an agency is, so when we, when we touch later on in startup as well, there's a very common way of testing that uh, companies do now. It's called concierge MVP. It's like you, you deliver your service by hand without building a product in the beginning to yeah. learn a lot about the interaction with the customers. I always viewed our, our period as an agency as sort of like a concierge MVP on steroids. <laughs> like because you're you're so close to your clients and yeah. you see their problems again and again and again, at some point you see patterns. Yeah, 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 yeah. So when you start seeing the patterns of the problem popping up again and again and again, we're like, hey, we can solve these with a product as well. So we were okay. considering our agency period a profitable period in which we were learning a lot about a certain customer group yeah. in the market. And yeah. then when we started seeing that the market was growing and growing and growing, we felt instead of doing things by the hour and providing services, it's easier and better for both sides to build the products that do the same thing. Nice. Yeah, that's a very smart move, actually. Yeah. So, and actually, that's a piece of advice. If you're a young entrepreneur and if you're listening to this, you know, running an agency and making some money for a while teaches you how to build a business, how to provide good service, how to yeah. sell. It teaches you all these basis, all the basic skills that you need to really understand how it is and get some experience in. Yeah. And then that will help you build a good product and selling the product and then run the company behind it as well. Yeah, instead of immediately jumping into a product that will give you yeah. kind of a, a time to learn. Exactly. You know? uh, uh, if you operate an agency for five years, you know how to operate a business. Exactly, yeah, that's nice, wow. All right, second question that I wanted to ask you as a young professional, always uh, you know, gravitated towards IT. I've seen on your LinkedIn at the beginning, and you yeah. worked at uh, some kind of uh, IT companies and yeah. IT projects. Yeah. Why you've always been drawn to the tech world? Well, I mean, I always liked technology when I was young, so I was always working on computers, and I sold computers, I built computers, and I mean, I I never really had the uh, ambition to be a programmer. I don't have. It's not. I don't have the patience for that. Yeah. And, you know, to be behind my screen all the day, all day to build programs. So that didn't fit me. But I knew, and it's very obvious when you are in technology that you know that the world will run on technology. It already does. But yeah. It's going it will be more and more and more and more. Yeah. Right. If you think about the Internet of Things, connectivity, Internet is fast. Yeah. It's, so for me, it was a no-brainer to be in that area and to really focus my energy on okay. If I figure out how to build a business here, it will be always relevant. And if that business fails, if I have technology experience, I will be relevant to other companies yeah. uh, to get a job or something. So that was the, the idea behind that. Um, one other thing is that if you're in technology, um, you're by default in this sort of like problem solving mindset, right? Yeah. So if you build a computer and it doesn't work, it gives you an error, you have to figure out, okay, what did I do wrong? Yeah. It's the same when you build a program, you know, hey, got an error, it doesn't work, you have to figure it out on your own, so like how to fix that with, with other people. When you build a business and you apply that mindset, it's the same thing. Yeah. Hey, the business doesn't work, there's a problem, let's troubleshoot it and see why it doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. like this skill is really important. And you, you also finally see that colleges and, and schools are picking up on this. I don't believe that everybody should be able to code per se. That's yeah. one of the trends that you hear a lot. 
Um, but I do believe that if you have some experience with the principles behind coding, yeah. you're on, you have a very different perspective on life and doing things in life, and it, that's really helpful. Uh, did you study uh, IT uh, in, the, in your house schools? What was your... Uh, so I started with uh, one that's called Bedrijfskundige Informatica, yeah. which means it's like yeah, business administration plus IT. So okay. I would go deeper oh. into into databases, into you know designing systems, being you know looking at supply chains, how does automation in supply chains work? So I did that for one year, but it was not creative enough for me. So yeah. I was getting bored. And the funny thing is that uh, Michiel, who wanted to, who already could program, he was doing a uh, education called communication multimedia design, okay. uh, which is more on the creative side, like designing stuff and everything. And because he was in that education, I was like, ha, oh, that's interesting. What he's doing is actually what I prefer more. It's design, it's user experience, it's you know, yeah. all these things, wireframing. Um, so I switched. So I, you know, after my first year, I switched to education. And then a year later, he switched to Informatica yeah. to, you know, be more on the coding side of things. Uh, so it's very interesting um, to see how that changed yeah. uh, so because I, I saw him do that. Yeah. <laughs> so Informatica, same day. Uh, so communication multimedia design uh, is, is a very, very small part. It's only about front end code. So the, the visual part of things. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, the reason is why I asked you because a lot of, you know, programmers, think that they cannot combine being a tech person and an entrepreneur at the same time. Oh, I think, yeah, of course, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think, yes, um, if, I, if I look working alongside with Michiel, him being a tech person, the way he looks at problems often is a, a way faster assessment of a difficult situation and I can make it. Yeah. So I've learned that being next to him. Um, and you have, of course, examples of a lot of successful people that are people that have technology background. I yeah. mean, uh, Elon Musk comes to mind. He, he is a programmer as well, right? Yeah. Uh, many people that have built a startup and are now more in a CEO role, for example, they have built the first code themselves. So yeah. I think it goes very well together. Uh, and actually, maybe it's a plus when you see an entrepreneur that has a technology background. Yeah. Because, like, and, and that's also what troubled me at the agency model. It's, I think it's a model that will die for the reason that you can't outsource the core of your business. As yeah. UPS cannot outsource logistics, as a technology company, you should not outsource your technology. So when big companies are paying agencies a lot of money to build apps, yeah, oh my God. you don't control your own technology or only a very small part of it. Yeah. And I think that that's not a good, it doesn't work. Uh, of course, on the contrary, like you cannot hire fast enough enough tech people to do it otherwise. So yeah. agencies are sort of like, a necessary need. Yeah. Um, but for me, yeah, when I see entrepreneurs that have a tech background, usually they have a very structured way of thinking through problems. Yeah. It could also be limiting, right? So if you're if you're a programmer, the the opposite side of this, so also the, the downside of be, that being, would be that if you're a programmer and you have a bug in your code, it can bug you literally yeah. very very for a very long time, right? It's, yeah. it's really, I have this problem in my code, I have to fix it. And sometimes you have problems in your business that you have to let be or that there is no quick fix for or that have to be in this, you know, gray area for a while. Can you give an example? Um, yeah. So when you when you start a business, there's also a lot of human problems involved, right. basically. Yeah. Uh, culture, but also interactions with clients or uncertainties because people like if you have a new client or there's a new person working with you on the client side in the agency role, a lot of things change. and. 
um, it's very easy to sort of like attack all those problems that you might then encounter. Yeah. Like head first and try to fix them all in one go. Yeah, well, yeah, at some yeah. point you just have to take them one by one or accept that there is no clear answer yet. Oh, and yeah. it doesn't really help to per se search for it sometimes. Yeah, and yeah, that's, yeah. I think, maybe the, the gray area where sometimes you see people with a technology background, they, they get bugged by the fact that something is broken instead of sort of like, yeah, okay, we'll fix it later. There's other yeah. stuff to do. Um, Definitely, yeah. yeah, I can I can imagine. I, I have a background in IT. Yeah, exactly. I was a pro programmer. They teach us from early on. One of the things that you said, like problem solving. Yeah. Problem solving is like we have a course like problem solving. Yeah. Of how can you look at the problem and and find the solution? Yeah. So when you do that for a while, you mm -hmm. know you study that and that becomes your life. Yeah. Everything in life becomes you look at relationship <laughs> in a problem solving way. Yeah. You know what is wrong and how can we fix yeah. it. And you know when you have that bug thing, it yeah. really bugs because it's like in red and it doesn't yeah. let the whole code it's, work. <laughs> it's good. It's exactly. And uh, now you're saying this, it also brings me to mind something, which is um, when you code something and when you build something, there is always a direct feedback loop. The system yeah. says yes or no. Yeah. But life doesn't always have this this very direct feedback loop. Yeah. There is a maybe state, yeah. right? And and I think that that's the that's probably a way better and faster way of saying what I was just trying to say. So like you have this state in which there is no yes or no, there is no good or right coming out of yeah. a situation in business uh, where you just have to accept a maybe or something yeah. that's in between that you can't define. <laughs> Not everything is something you can just touch, feel, or observe yet. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, that which makes sense why a lot of the tech guys or people are alone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because it's mindset that it's not. Uh, it's better not to generalize. <laughs> uh, we used to make jokes about people in tech and how they think and how can they like in school. Yeah, like we used to make like a poem of if a tech person would write a poem to mm -hmm. their loved ones how this poem would be because really you know how to deal with computers for a very long time that you cannot deal with people anymore um but yeah exactly <laughs> um okay so now let's go back to lean startup you were were one of the pioneers who brought the lean startup here yeah. to the dutch market you know yeah. i wanted to know how did you stumble upon a lean startup right. to, to begin with? Then how did you bring it here in the Dutch market? And then how did you, how did people perceive you, you know? Right. So one by one, here we go. Um, I stumbled upon the blog post of Eric Ries. Okay. I don't recall where, how and what. Okay. Uh, I knew that the, I think some, some, some of them were on Hacker News or on Reddit, but before he wrote the book, he was blogging on startupslessonslearned.com. And what intrigued me is that we were trying to figure out how can we make firm house a house of firms, building multiple companies under one roof. That means that if you have, if you do it once, like we did TweetBurner, I was sort of like wondering what's the repeatable process here? What's the approach that we take? And like, if I look back, what did we learn? Yeah. There was quite a bit of luck involved, which I think you always need, like somebody sending an email to Twitter and then we get on the Twitter blog and everybody's yeah. using it. It sort of like skyrockets uh, sort of like what you're doing. Um, and, but then it was like, okay, but what are the sort of like the steps that you, you take to test something if you should try and get that moment even to happen? So yeah. What can you do before that time? And then I stumbled upon the blog post of Eric Ries and I was like, everything he was writing made a lot of sense. He was writing it from a perspective of a startup founder. Ah. Um, so it was like, ah, this clicks. So I was like starting reading more of those and um, meet up then at that point 
told me, like through like the, the email list, somebody started a lean startup meetup in Delft, which was Robert. Like I didn't know Robert at that time. So, and it appeared that he was actually applying a lot of these things in his company called Backup Agent, which he uh, sold in 2016 before he joined our company. And uh, I went to that meetup and there were a couple of other people interested in the topic. So we start talking more and like get together more often. At some point the book comes out, we have the meetup still going on still fun we're applying all the things and at some point a client like Philips that we now have shows up at a meetup like hey very interesting lean startup you read the book too uh, can you help us apply it like because they're used to you know hiring people that help yeah. them to do stuff so then we start thinking okay we don't have an active product right now we run the agency model to build apps can we additionally also provide consultancy with what we do yeah. to companies like Philips? And the answer is yes. And we built workshop decks and everything. And this is how we then got it more into the market. So this was way before yeah, everybody calls themselves a lead startup consultant nowadays. <laughs> uh, they have read the books and I'm a lead startup consultant. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that, but you, you can see sort of like the term became a really broad term for testing ideas yeah. more or less, but no, the principles yeah, yeah. are the same of a lot of things you knew 20 years ago or what entrepreneurs were already doing. Uh, so that's how it got bigger in the, in the market here. It's like bigger companies started working with it. And because bigger companies are now asking for people to help them with that, more people take interest in the idea to right. teach it to companies. So this is the flywheel effect that we saw and how it became popular. It's also the reason why if you go to conferences like the Lean Startup Summit, it's Silicon Valley, it's a big one. And then there's a huge one in Amsterdam that happened last year, which was really big. It's a very mature market in the Netherlands, and you see now other markets also come up. Okay, yeah. It's also the reason why we're moving out of the market. Yeah, yeah, because now you're just like... It's yeah. not our focus, we don't yeah. want to build that kind of company. Sort of like we have seeded the movement and we, we know basically every player in the field right now that's teaching this. And we know that most of the principles of the workshops that we have used are now also being used by them, which we like, because it's a good way of teaching Lean Startup. Yeah. So on a principle level for us, it's really nice that we sort of like had this yeah, this foundational role in, in, yeah, in instigating that market and making yeah. sure that that part would be good. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and now uh, you're yeah. just like, yeah, bye-bye. <laughs> well, yeah, actually now we build the platform and the tools that help people to do it in, in, in companies like Philips because, yeah, yeah. you know, they don't have the systems for it. Yeah, which is, uh, maybe we can talk about it. Actually, yeah. one of your products is a dispatch. Can we talk about it? Yeah. It's out now in the market. Mm -hmm. Okay, and yeah, so yeah, there will be a sign-up button on the website within two weeks, but yeah, it's, it's 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 being used. Yeah, yeah, it's really awesome because you you've kind of how to put it into words, you've translated it into a product. You can apply the principle, and yeah. then it, it's something that it's already how to say documented and recorded, right. and it's easy to use, and it's just fun. Yeah. And instead of just uh, having it out in the air or on a board, yeah. no, on your computer, exactly. Which is, yeah. I think, if you can talk a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so basically, it helps you do three things. Uh, it's one is like to scope the assumptions of an idea. So the core of lean startup is that you break an idea or a business model into a set of assumptions that yeah. you think are true about the market or about a customer. Uh, and you, you test those using experiments. And Dispatch helps you to break down assumptions into like a prioritized overview. And based upon that, you're going to build some experiments to test them. And the way that Dispatch helps you, it structures your thinking by asking the right questions as yeah. part of the interface, more or less. So that's that's two main parts of it. And then the third one is that you can actually 
um, track your progress by writing little updates either for yourself or if you have mentors and coaches that you regularly check in with, they can write it for you. So it gives you sort of like a full overview of this is where my focus is currently, this is where it has been, yeah. and then in the future this is where it will be. And then if you run a program of multiple teams, you can put that even in yeah. a program perspective yeah. and you can track multiple teams across your organization doing this. And so the big idea behind this is that we see companies that, you know, innovation right now is the separate thing that companies do. It will become more of a core thing that companies do because the world changes faster and faster and yeah. faster. So yeah. as soon as you're not trying new ideas on a daily basis with basically the, the whole of your company or most of your company, yeah. um, you're lagging be behind. Yeah, yeah you're yeah. being left behind and the startup will take your lunch money in, in a certain market, for example. And, yeah. You know, take your customers. So so right now, Dispatch is really focused on, you know, quote, quote, just uh, that part of the project. But ultimately, in the future, our thesis is that Dispatch could be more like an operating system of all the ideas that a company has have had or is going to well, work on yeah. in the future. Nice. And like have the full data set around like, hey, we already tried this. What did we learn? Should we retry this nice. or not? So it's more like an operating system angle there. Um, it's a difficult proposition because it's very it's like a new market. It's a new process. People are getting used to it. So you can really feel that the demand is not like people are yanking it out of our hands yeah. at this moment, <laughs> Yet. which is fine, right? <laughs> so we believe that some of these propositions and products that we build, it, it's fine if it takes time for them to you know, become popular enough. Yeah. We don't need it to scale like crazy. Um, we also have to develop the products based on the things that we learn by having some people that use the product, yeah. which is where we are right now. And then it's a gateway to the rest of the platform that allows people to really run yeah. complex experiments really fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's that's also where more more of our attention have been in 2018, uh, especially in the corporate field, where you know, where as a startup founder, <laughs> spinning up a website and getting a payment, you know, might take you a day or two or three yeah. to set everything up if you do it for the first time. In a corporate environment, it takes weeks and weeks and weeks, and yeah. you get a lot of no's from people who, you know, can't enable you to do it. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. No, I, I've seen it, I've tried it, I loved it, and I think, yeah, this is something great. Uh, but I think Thanks. now you're focusing more on companies, right? So yeah. B2B. Maybe this is a side question. Why not B2C? For, for our platform, you mean? Yeah, for uh, the dispatch. For consumers or for, like, uh, entrepreneurs. For entrepreneurs, yeah. Right, yeah, so, um, well... Small like market, like you have to also imagine if you build an agency, you have 10 people yeah. that expect at the end of the month to oh, be paid, okay. right? So you're, 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 you're basically re replacing a certain amount of costs that you're making. Yeah, you're yeah. trying to replace it to a product. So yeah, you're making this right. transition. So then that by default sort of like drives your focus towards the things that either make you more money on the short term and get that in first before you really start spending more money and time on things that have to grow at a slower rate or, you know, so, so, th so that's one of the, one of the considerations there yeah. is that we had other propositions that will, you know. Yeah, you're right. And then now you made me think about uh, one of the principles of farmhouse is uh, healthy business. Yeah. And uh, you guys believe in uh, walking slowly, but surely, like, you know, yeah. we don't mind taking it. It's good way of saying it. Yeah. yeah. But we, we're going to go there. We, yeah. We're not into how to say the right in a race or in, in, in a... We're not in a rush. In a rush exactly. to, to yeah. accomplish something. Where did this concept came from? Oh, why? Did, because a lot of people now are just like, let's go fast. Let's go, yeah. you know, if you go two floors Is above, yeah, yeah, people yeah. are just like, you know, faster, faster, faster. I want, I want result now. I want, yeah. but I, I love 
your yeah. way of looking at it because uh, exactly you know growing slowly but you're growing strongly yeah and that's exactly. what uh, uh, no. start in the startup world that they don't really necessarily see that do you think maybe because you started way before that you, it's possible uh, that that plays a uh, part of it um i think back then we already had the idea that it's not so much about building a company and selling it for a lot of money and being this you know entrepreneurial people look up to and say like wow you're a millionaire and you sold your company like that never appealed to us um also we really valued a good work-life balance yeah now, i must say it's not always easy to keep that because sometimes your company goes through certain periods where you really it's all hands on deck and you have to you know heads down and yeah. go through some pain um but it's it's part of our core values good work-life balance so that means that everything that you build or like has to support that wow. and usually fast growth comes with a lot of things that doesn't match that values like yeah raise a lot of money early you know and then you have very early on investors only focused on growth in your company yeah. so growth becomes the purpose instead of you know laying this really strong foundation underneath your company yeah that will allow you to you know make decisions on your own terms yeah yeah right that's i think what drove us to to sort of like not be in a rush yeah and also one thing that plays a big part of that is that you can't really force yourself into ideas per se at least not for me like i always have a lot of ideas of things i want to do but i always challenge myself to have i to work on the ideas that have the potential to you know build a certain layer of revenue into the company or um, you know that could sustain itself before i put more time in it yeah uh, and then when you have a selection of those ideas and you have this sort of like base income and everything you have the time to really take your time to yeah. also think about where you want to go yeah 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 so also you have to create the conditions in which you don't have to rush yeah yeah which is a funny part when you said uh, that uh, you're gonna have investors that who are interested in uh, in the growth i remember mm-hmm. i was part of investor meeting and then this guy came in pulled this uh, powerpoint presentation there was uh, a turtle and there was a rabbit and he said uh, okay there are some of you here who want to grow businesses and they want to take their time which there's nothing wrong with that yeah. but we want the rabbit yeah. and it was just like he, he helped me to realize that like it depends on how you want to grow your business you can yeah. attract people who are the same fast growth yeah. means it could be you can go up fast but you can also come down very fast yeah. and i think uh, yeah exactly yeah, so i think true. that's a very nice yeah no, well luckily there is trends in the in the investor landscape of vc funds that yeah. you know have very founder friendly models and they don't force their founders on 10 time growth trajectories uh, yeah like it's fine if you multiply twice in the coming three years as long as you build a very good business that helps the world so it's good to see that. So maybe that fast growth mindset created a lot of people that, you know, have experienced it and know that it's not a healthy thing to do yeah. or know that it doesn't necessarily create a lot of value for the world, but only for a few people. Yeah. And in essence, I don't think it's, that's, it's per se wrong. I will never sort of like campaign against it like some people do, but it is good that because some people experienced it and now have money, they're setting up funds that help entrepreneurs and accept that it stays small. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I think we answered the hurdles of being lean startup concept in the Dutch market. The hurdles. Uh, well, not the hurdles. I think we, we discussed like how, how it became big yeah. or how it sort of like came to be that it's one of the, yeah, 
countries where it's quite known and widely used. In the beginning, the big hurdle was people were looking at it yeah. and they were like, uh, this can never work or, you know, you had some founders who have built a company before that were very young and they say like, well, if you use that concept, every idea will fail. Yeah. Like Lean Startup in the beginning had this strong narrative, fail fast, fail often, like all these connotations, people had problems sort of like accepting, accepting yeah. them. Minimum viable products. No, your product should be nice and good looking before people start using it. Like, And then when they saw it work for some of the companies and they also saw that you can sort of like have your own level in comfort like yeah. what, what is minimum and what is viable it's up to you what you yeah, decide uh -huh. this it's the principle behind it that matters so the hurdle was that the founder industry here at in the beginning refuted sort of like the the principles behind lean stops like yeah that's stupid yeah or well you have to go big or go home or like this and now many of them you can see them apply the principles of lean startup luckily and sort of like do experiments of customer conversations so Okay, so yeah. basically cynicism, that's what it's like, people didn't yeah. believe Yeah, and then especially the worst part I think for most founders was that it sparked this consultant's industry. Oh, okay. And they were like, oh, no. Oh, okay, okay, <laughs> like, okay, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, yeah. All right, uh, so jumping from hurdles to pop-ups. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what are the, your, maybe you, you can mention one or two apps, but, but kind of maybe... Had you known, you would not have done that. You know, you would have made a better decision or better right. choices. I I think on a on a very personal level, like every every founder comes to the stage like, do I put somebody in place to manage team, okay. to manage process, to manage things, uh, or do I do it? Okay, right? so delegation. Yeah, delegation, but also team management. All right. Like doing, one-on-ones, how is the culture, how are we progressing as a, as a company. And uh, I think I neglected sort of like putting either somebody in place who would do that um, or taking it myself. I think it's not like a, a major fuck up story or something, but I really feel that if I've done that sooner, yeah, I would have been able to, to, to make the team perform better and to you know make sure that the company would perform better. So I think on, on a very personal level, that's something that if I look back, I would have changed that. If I talk to people, it's something that I advise them to do. Like sit down half an hour every month or two weeks with everybody on your team to just have an sort of like open conversation. How are things going? What's bothering nice. you? Like that feedback loop is something that I will create from day one that right. I didn't do. And yeah, I think with TweetBurner, what happened is that um, sort of like when, so we had quite a good thing going, we had quite some good ideas to well, maybe monetize a little bit, not super strong, but some yeah. monetization. And then we got some people on board that were trying to help out and had good intentions of helping out, but that we didn't test that collaboration well enough before we made it. Oh, okay. So that cornered us basically with them and yeah. it was not working. And we, yeah, there was sort of like no way out. And at some point we just said like, well, you take, you, you buy, you buy the rest of us out and we'll start doing other stuff. And I don't, that also happened. And I think I would have taken Tweetburner somewhere else than where it eventually ended up. Right. Uh, so I think, it's not per se a super negative thing, but I would say that maybe there we should have done more testing. Like we did our own test, me and Michiel, like building a project together in a weekend. Yeah. We didn't test that collaboration in a, in a similar way. Okay. Uh, I yeah. would say and that's a little bit of, that feels like a loss. Yeah. yeah. The, I get the it. First, the first one, basically. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the very first one 10 years ago. Yeah. 
All right. What projects from House are working on now uh, besides the dispatch? Is there anything new? That yeah, Airstrip and GoMonthly. Okay. So, so basically, we now talk about Firmhouse Platform, which contains three major propositions. The first one is Dispatch, which we just spoke about. You have Airstrip, which is really focused on experimentation and building an online presence okay. in the early stage of a company. Okay. And it allows you to really quickly test for customer behavior without over designing a page or over designing complex funnels. It really mm -hmm. does the right things the right way and right now nothing more than that. Wow. And that easily bridges also into payments. Nice. And we with Comonthly we allow people to run a subscription business. Uh, and the cool part about this platform, it's either as a founder you can utilize it completely or you can as a company have this platform and use it as well. So then your innovation team and your marketing team can actually operate as a as a startup. Ah. So they hear in the workshops and with consultants like you have to move at at the speed of a startup. Yeah. But then when it comes down to the tools they don't have the right tools approved or yeah. at their disposal to actually do that. Wow. Which is very frustrating to these people, right? So you're being asked to do something like, hey, hang a painting, but I'm not going to give you a hammer and a nail. Yeah. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Is it out now? Let's yeah. Look at, okay, yeah. Wow, cool. So, so, the, so the public sign up for that um, is going to be on our website soon. Okay. Uh, it's out now. So if anybody's listening and interested, they yeah. should just hit us up and then we'll, we'll set you up with, a, with an account. Yeah. All right. Nice. Wow. Uh, all right. Venture Lab. Yes. <laughs> Why Venture Lab and, you know, what, where, when, how? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, like, as I mentioned, we have, we have, we've had done quite some programs and we coach startups in accelerators, like Rockstar, Startup Bootcamp. Yeah. Then we went corporate. We, we worked with teams at Philips and ING. It's really like we started developing a thesis around how does a good startup program yeah. work? Also with the founder in mind. Yeah. So if you would look at the average accelerator right now, well, now nowadays it might have changed a little bit how they operate, but back in the days, also when we started working on Venture Lab, there would be uh, a three-month program. First month, you would be like workshops, workshops, workshops. You have to go to this. Hey, all the mentors are coming. You have to be present. Yeah. Then the second month would be okay. Now you can work a little bit on the product, and you have you have a mentor now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so that mentor is checking in and giving you advice. But then there's still there would be more mentors. You would get conflicting advice. So you start hearing terms like uh, mentor whiplash. Like that's <laughs> the best one we've heard. Like they. <laughs> Like so many people telling you what to do, but yeah. so conflicting that yeah, you just yeah. don't know what to do anymore. Yeah. And then the third month would be all about preparation for demo day. Now, yeah. This was the classical program back then everybody was running. It was all modeled after the same idea, yeah. basically. And we knew from experience, either be, by being a mentor or talking to the founders afterwards, like it didn't really work. Yeah. You lose about 8% or 6% of your company wow. and you get 15,000 euros, something like that, which is not that much to yeah. do stuff with. So we're like, okay, this can be done better. And that's that's where Robert started thinking about like, okay, how can we design the workshops we already have into a small program yeah. and then build an iterative like a weekly or bi-weekly check-in with the founders and then, you know, speed them up, but not get too much in the way of yeah. what they're trying to do. Uh, so we had all these principles, like we have only a few mentors, they're dedicated. It's not like tons of mentors. So, and then, uh, yeah, we, we ran it in 2017 for the first time at the end of the year. We're in a program, yeah, yeah, we're yeah. alumni. Um, a lot of learnings there, of course, for us as well. Um, but we really liked it. So we did this year uh, a second one with support of the, uh, city of Rotterdam uh, and uh, city lab. yeah, city lab indeed, uh, which is great because it allows us to really 
put more attention on the program itself, you know, get it done properly. Yeah. Uh, Marielle joined the team to help run it with us. Um, and we do it together with CIC, as you know, as well. It's, it's, um, it's for us a way of sort of like distilling all this knowledge of those years into a little program and see if we can help founders. Yeah. Uh, so it really comes from that intrinsic yeah. like drive that we have. Uh, we're not fully sure what the future of it will be because yeah. it's it's also something that you you really have to operate. Uh, we're, we're planning to do way more of it, um, and it, but it also has to fit within what we do as a company. So yeah. so we're so we're trying a lot of things, um, and it's really cool that some of the companies that we've been talking to they are interested in placing a team in yeah. the program because they know it's like wait they have good workshops and there will be founders alongside yeah. my innovation team. You know. I get qu uh, asked quite a bit about uh, the Venture Lab. Yeah. You know, how was it? How was your experience? I said, it's amazing. And then they say, uh, they tell me, like, why? What, why is it mm -hmm. amazing? I was like, it helps you get into testing your ideas very fast. So it yeah. helps you save time, but it also helps you save effort. Yeah. And then I was like talking about Robert and you guys are really, really, you do care. The, the people who are part the participants. Mm -hmm. So you do care about their yeah. well-being as well. Yeah. So if you see a person is not happy doing something, you really care, and which is something I've never seen, you yeah. know, in these similar programs, whether, um, you know, the start weekend or whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, just like come test your idea and just leave. No, I, I felt that there are a little bit of care, and I think yeah. uh, the concept of a healthy business is yeah. actually one of the main reasons why I loved the, the program. Yeah. So and I felt safe, kind yeah. of. To, to be it's part good of to it. Hear. No, it's, it's true. So well done. And I'm, uh, I, I can't wait to uh, see what's uh, coming out of this uh, yeah. year at Venture Lab. We, we took a lot of inspiration from a program called Founders, uh, Founder First in the, the UK. Okay. Um, so some of the things that we do, we saw that they were doing, but then we were surprised looking around us that nobody else was doing it. Yeah. Uh, and based on our experience, we knew that those things would work. So, so we took, took quite some, some of the things that you could see that they would be doing around our program as well. And, uh, yeah, that, that makes it founder focused. Okay. And that was the, like, if we, so for us, it was really important if we can't make it founder focused and more founder friendly, there's like, then we're not different at all from all the other accelerators. Yeah. I'm not saying that they're not founder friendly, but they're more focused on team. They're more focused on scaling up the companies and getting follow investment. They're yeah. not really focused on, are we setting up somebody for success in their company, whether it is going to be a firm house or a nice small company, you know? Yeah. It doesn't have to be a billion dollar unicorn kind of company. Yeah, yeah. Okay. What are the three major skills a starting entrepreneur should have? Uh, you should be able to sell. That's important. Marketing is very close to it, so it's kind of <laughs> that's the same thing, yeah. but you have to be able Sales to, pleasure. you know, get your ideas out there and to get people interested and, you know, uh, do something with you. I mean, in the end, a company runs on money. Yeah. <laughs> And then uh, entrepreneurs forget to factor in their time. Yeah. That's also money, right? You have to pay the rent at the end of the month. So get a little business off the ground. That's the first thing to do. And therefore you have to have sales skills. Yeah. Um, be, if you, if you build a product, be product focused. So understand what it means to design a product that solves a problem for somebody. Yeah. Um, if you can't design a service first, it's not that different, but it's a very different way of operating the business. Um, and I think the last part would be you have to be able to deal with uncertainty because there is a lot of yeah. uncertainty when you start a business. Um, and 
at different levels, of course, but you have to really be able to deal with that as well. So you have to be able to stomach basically yeah. bad things that happen, dealing with stress, uh, and and yeah, also therefore figuring out what's the best type of company that you can build. Yeah, which actually going to bring me to my second question after this one is how do you cope with stress? Good. Uh, <laughs> I've tried many things. I so I tend to be quite. Well, not stress-free, but I can deal with a lot of stress. Okay. In a way, if I deal good with it, it's a different story. But I can deal with quite some stress. Then my my mechanism, uh, the best one is meditation. Okay. And this, the other part would be moving. You know, make sure you get a lot of like sports. Yeah. yeah. And one thing I underestimated is social life. Okay. I've, I think. 2017 2018 sort of like looking back on those years which is quite recent i didn't did not spend enough or invest enough in my social life and uh it's the easiest thing that you have to be completely taken out of your business yeah and think about other things uh, i think those those three things are, yeah socializing wow. it's very very straightforward maybe so so what, what i hear sometimes you yeah, get but they don't get it like that's okay. Like that's actually good. When you're stressed about your business, yeah. sometimes it's great that you can share it with others and they understand. Sometimes it's great that they don't understand. Okay. And that you get it as a, a totally different story and yeah. a total, totally different look out of like look an outlook on life yeah. uh, from somebody who's just you know in a job yeah. in a very different field. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's for me. I underestimated the power of that. Wow. So, but yeah, on a personal level, things that you can do meditation and. Yeah, taking care of your health, basically. Yeah. Talking about health, uh, I remember you shared with me your story of uh, right. yeah. surgery. Yeah. Um, I wanted to you to maybe share a little bit of it and maybe if you can talk about how did that impacted your life in a major way. Right. Yes. So so the backstory here is when I was 14, and you still wear here. Uh, when I was 14, uh, I got a lot of stomach problems. Basically, after a while of like, doing a lot of research in the hospital, I had a thing that's called colitis, uh, which is inflammations in your large intestine. It's like the little brother of Crohn, which more people know. It's a more known disease. Uh, and it's very stress-related. So the moment you have stress, it, it it's like up. you get sick. You, yeah. you, it flares up. It's very connected. Uh, so when I was 17, it got so bad that I got into the hospital for a while and uh, about six weeks and then they had performed quite some surgeries and they ended up you know, taking the whole large intestine out. Yeah. Good thing is I can't get sick anymore because it's like yeah. if you have chronic headaches and they take off your head, you don't have chronic headaches again, <laughs> more or less <laughs> what they did to me with my large intestine. Um, so but like the lessons that you learn there, like because you, you are sick, you don't have control on it, yeah. like it happens to you. So you learn, the first thing that you learn is that you have to accept it. If you don't accept it, it just even becomes worse Yeah. Uh, because you get more stress. So it was like yeah. this compounding effect on your health. So that's the first thing that I really learned by being sick. So that's one of the lessons I take out of it. The other one is when then you have to deal with hospitals and with doctors and you get very little face time with your doctors. So you have to be super pragmatic in the information that you care about wow. what's happening to me. Can I see some lab results myself? What does it mean? So at a very young age, I was sort of like forced to be a very good questioner yeah. and listener to absorb a lot of information fast and sort of like then make decisions on that as well. Wow. Even though it's out of your control, you're then sort of like, okay, we want to do the surgery. 
basically yeah. they're telling you you have no choice but you still have a choice but you have no choice <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah, like, yeah let's do it um so yeah it, it it taught those things for me um yeah dealing with uncertainty as well like will i get better when will i get better uh, sort of like uh you know, how do you say giving in to that and accepting that it's yeah, just how it's going to yeah. be it's yes yeah, you have to surrender to it yeah, yeah. and if you don't you're just going to fight it yeah so i think when i look at building a business and running a business these are the situations where having that in my life having like dealt with that at such a young age i i do the similar thing as i did then what i learned then so like i know okay this is happening to me this is happening to us for example you know that you can just, you know, let it be for a while. If yeah. you can do that, that's a similar thing to meditation. Like you exactly. know, meditation is about letting be or letting happen, yeah. right? So so that's the main thing for me that it taught. And then on the other side, I was very lucky it happened at a young age. Yeah. In a way, it sucks because it takes away sort of like the prime years. Like I didn't yeah. spend two, two years, two and a half years where you go from 16 to 18, yeah. 18 and a half, 19 where you really mature, yeah. I matured in a very different environment, in a very different way, yeah. if you will. And I think that, that if, if it would have happened in my mid-twenties, I was building firm house, right? Uh, yeah. I would not have been an entrepreneur if I would still have that disease, if it didn't yeah. fare up that much that they decided to take that vigorous action. So yeah. I would not have built this company if I did not have those surgeries. That's the yeah. way that I look at it. Yeah. Which is really beautiful because some people don't understand why some things are happening to them. But if they look at it, I know now it's going to sound mystic, but had you not had these things in your life, you would not have been able to get this to be where you right. are right now, which you love it. Yeah. I can look at you and, yeah. and see that you really love it and you are really content to do your life. And I feel like if you had that had not happened, this would not have happened. Exactly. And, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. and the first time you have something like that in your life, so like... I mean, looking at being sick and looking at getting these surgeries when you're in it, you're like, shit, <laughs> yeah. why, why me or something like that? Yeah. Well, I got past those questions quite fast because that, those were not helping. But uh, you still have this sort of like, I mean, it's not nice to go through it. Yeah. Uh, but afterwards, I realized my life is so much better now. Yeah. It was good that it happened to me. And then the first time you have that realization, the next time something really bad happens to you, and this is like the, the thing about Buddhism or whatever, like... The, um, looking back, it will always have a good effect. Yeah. So let's say your company doesn't survive after four or five years being in business and working hard. Yeah. The first months, it will be very difficult. But then you start like drawing all these lessons from it. Yeah. And you'll be like, ah, oh, okay. I can do better the next time. Yeah. Right. And then you might build a different company that makes you happier. Yeah. There are a lot of startup founders who, you know, try to do the get funded and get, you know, a big company up running or make money later thing. And then it fails, yeah. they deal after the fact with all the lessons and then they build a very nice small business that makes them super happy. Yeah. And they're yeah. not doing the get funded and get big again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thing. And so yeah. like if they just look at it, that life is happening for you, not to you. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. Yeah. So since that now you celebrated 10th uh, year anniversary of Firm yeah. House, where do you see yourself or Firm House in 10 years from now? It's a great question. Uh, <laughs> so, so the the overall purpose of what we're what we're building, and that's also why the platform is like containing these products that it does have now. And again, the, the platform will be bigger with different kind of things that we're doing. The underlying purpose is that we believe that it's not only startups that will improve the world with new technology. Existing companies have way more assets, money, and options to actually positively impact the yeah. world. Um, 
And the way that we phrase it is that we help companies last longer or new companies get started faster. So when you take something from scratch, we can help you do it fast and really get sort of like the first thing up and running to go to go into business. When you're an existing company, you have to deal with the fact that a lot of startups are sort of like new market entrants (laughs) to having your market are trying to go after your customers. Yeah, eating under your belly. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Um, So in order to last longer, like to that's what we're aiming with Firmhouse to do. I, I plan to retire in Firmhouse. That's my sort of like vision. Um, in order to last longer, you have to make sure that in the DNA of your company, you're constantly working on new ideas. Yeah. So that's why it's sort of like the overall idea behind Firmhouse is that the way that we operate this company, the way that we use our own product, yeah. should be the blueprint for how actually a company looks like in 20 years from now. Wow. And so there's this this idea behind you know all the processes we have experimented with internally all the tools that we're building our knowledge of lean startup and we're now trying to sort of like put that into one platform system that you can use to operate your own firm house and then that in the beginning might be your innovation department yes. but it might be that at some point it's just the way that you operate a company wow. oh. so i believe strongly that companies will unbundle the first time you go into a big corporate, so the first time when we, for example, and everybody who has worked with a company like that, like Philips, the first time you go in there, it's actually a thousand or 10,000 companies under one roof. Yeah. But then the way that it's structured and the way that it operates, it's designed for predictability. Yeah. Right? And that's great. Like they execute, they optimize, fine. But it's not designed for flexibility, which is needed to stay relevant in like these days that we're going through now. Yeah. All the startups, they do new technologies, new products, make people happier and more customer focused than you are as a big company. But therefore, in order to respond to that, you have to be more flexible in everything you do, not only your innovation department, but also the way that you structure your legal department, the way you structure everything else that makes it possible to be in business. And uh, I think there will be huge things changing there in the coming 20 years. Wow, I like that you're thinking about that now. This is amazing, visionary. (laughs) Okay, at this mic in front of you can be broadcasted to the 7 billion people on this planet. Yeah. What's your message to them would be? You don't be in a rush. Uh, think for yourself. And if you start a business or if you plan to be a small business owner, overly focus on your customer and the rest will take care of itself. If you, if you really focus on who is going to be buying from you, and you focus on it, they're very happy, you can take any business off the ground. And it's fine that it's not huge. Everybody thinks it should be big, it should be fast, it's fine to go slow. And if you have the ambition to do something big, build a small company first and feel how it is. Yeah, that's that's actually good advice. Wow. Um, How can people know more about you or reach you? So I think, so uh, firmhouse.com. Okay. first, sure. Uh, and I think the other way to reach me is Twitter, for example. All right. So if you go to Twitter, my Twitter handle is uh, Janssen without the E. So it's J-A-N-S-N. Okay. Uh, you can find me there and you can tweet me and ask any questions. All right. um, and if you want to know more about Firmhouse, firmhouse.com. Uh, of course, you can see our website and uh, check out more there. I will put everything. Uh, last call to action. Good one. It could be anything. Good one. <laughs> yeah, it could be anything. It could be anything. <laughs> Read the book Principles by Ray Dalio. All right. Principles That's by Ray Dalio. Ray Dalio. Ray yeah. Dalio. It's the best book you'll read. 
both both for life and for business. All right. Well, Bob, thank you so much for doing this. You have been an amazing guest, and every time I talk to you, I learn something new. So um, thank you so much for doing this, and wish you all the best in your upcoming projects. Uh, I am, thank you. you know, I'm a fan, and uh, <laughs> I'm gonna keep up and see what's coming up. Cool. Thanks Thanks. a lot. Thanks for having me. Anytime. Well, that's it for tonight, folks. See you next week for more inspiration. Bye for now.